All right, I got a question for you. I got a question for you. How many of you, and it's okay to be honest, it's okay to be honest here. So, how many of you allow your pet, dog, cat, hamster, gerbil, iguana, whatever, allow your pet, chickens? Children. Children. Okay, well, maybe this will work too. How many of you all allow your pet to uh, lick, lick your plates clean? Lick your plates clean. Anybody? Anybody? Gideon? 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 Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's time to be honest. Time to be honest. Yeah. So there we go. Yeah, we got one. Uh, and then Gideon in the back. So do, do you guys call that good enough? Like you put that, you put that back up in the, in the cabinet and it's good enough? It's good? It's all good? Um, anybody? Honest? No? no okay. Uh, um, I mean... You know, imagine going over to somebody's house and they, they you know, you, you get done with dinner and they let the dog clean off the plate, which you're like, okay, whatever, that's odd. And then, and then they just put that back up in the cabinet and you're going, I just saw Fido take care of his own, you know, deal out back in the backyard and you just let in, and we just ate off of this plate. Yeah, mmm, mm, makes that chocolate donut tastes even better right now, doesn't it? Yeah. As Jesus continued his hellfire and brimstone sermon to the religious leaders, we get to the point where he tells, tells them to lose the religious actions. And, um, and, and in fact, these are the, the verses we're going to read to this morning is some of the maybe more famous out of this sermon that you've probably heard before. And uh, it deals directly with the idea of letting, you know, your dog lick off your plate. And you're going, that's good enough. It looks clean. So I'm going to put it back up in the cabinet. So let's take a look as Jesus continues, as he tells these religious leaders to lose their religious actions. We're going to be in Matthew 23, 25. And you follow along in a hardbound Bible. I'm going to throw the verses up on the screen. But we highly encourage you to download the Bible app uh, via your uh, smartphone or tablet. Uh, you can find that in the App Store, Google Play, and you can uh, get that. And we put it at a live event, in, and you can follow along with all the verses, and you can do notes and stuff and share on Facebook. We encourage you to share on Facebook what God just is sharing with you um, and uh, do it in your life <clears throat> for everybody to see. So Matthew 23, 25, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First, wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like religious people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. And here he starts off with, with an illustration, kind of like what we were talking about of, hey, look, the outside of your cup looks clean, but the inside you didn't clean. It's not about getting clean on the outside. And then he used another illustration that was actually directly related to what they were doing that week. That week was Passover week. This was the final week of Jesus' life. If Passover was that weekend. And what the Jews would do, because the tombs were outside on the outskirts of the city and on the, on the, um, on the road coming in, uh, what they would do is they would wash their tombs and actually literally powder their tombs 
to make them look clean and white and fresh and pretty. And Jesus is like, guess what? It's still a tomb. It's still a tomb. And we don't necessarily do that today, but at the same time, I mean, don't we look, make the look, uh, uh, the outside of our, of our cemeteries look pretty? I mean, our cemeteries in our towns, now, Old Country Church Cemetery might be different, but cemeteries in our town, they don't look like something from Tales of the Crypt, right? We make them look all pretty. But the reality is, is what is it? It's a cemetery with a bunch of tombs and a bunch of bones and a bunch of ashes. When I was in Indy this past week, uh, traveling down a, a, an older part of the city, so it's kind of a run-down part of the city. But boom, you got, got to this cemetery that on the outside, it would look like you were walking in or driving into a racket and country club. But what's on the inside? Bones. I see dead people, right? Bones. And this is what we do with our religious actions. What Jesus is telling us is this. Sin isn't an outside issue. It's a heart issue. Sin isn't an outside issue. It's not an outside problem. It's not an action problem. It's a heart problem. And if we try to go after the actions and make ourselves look good on the outside, but on the inside, we're still dirty. We haven't solved the problem. And those of you that have maybe left the church, or maybe if you're here, you say, I didn't leave the church because I never started in church. Maybe this is part of your story, is that you look at religious people and say, yeah, just clean, up, clean yourself up on the outside, but I know really what's still going on on the inside. And I don't want anything to do with that. Man, there's way more fun things to do on Sunday morning than to just look good. But one of the things is this, is that, hey, the Bible talks about transformation, right? It talks about what it looks like when, when God enters your life and you're, quote, unquote, born again, right? When your life starts over and the transformation that occurs and that when God, an extraordinary God, intersects with an ordinary life, you can't stay the same. But what we end up doing is we short-circuit the process of God doing the work from the inside out. We short-circuit that process and just start working on the outside. Which leads us kind of to a question that we probably all wrestle with, but maybe we wouldn't be so honest to actually wrestle with it on the outside. How much sin can we struggle with and still be a Christian? How much sin can we struggle with and still be a Christian? A guy by the name of Brennan Manning wrote a book, Ragamuffin, Ragamuffin Gospel, I'm reading through that again, and, and, and it actually directly applies to this week, but I'm really this series of saying, hey, look, the gospel is for ragamuffins. See, sometimes we make the, make the gospel look like, make the gospel look like it's for people that are awesome. And that if you, if you follow Jesus, you're going to be awesome and win the state championship. Right, Jack? Sure. Ever, ever, sure. Uh, yeah, see, that's your story, right? Yeah. <laughs> one game at a time. But one game at a time, baby, one game at a time. But, but really, it's for ragamuffins. It really, it's for people that struggle. Brennan Manning himself, if you don't know his story, he was, he was a Catholic 
who believed in Jesus alone for, for salvation. He passed away a few years ago, but he was an evangelist with a message of, of the gospel, of hope, of love, of the love of God. They would speak to thousands of people a night. But then he would go back to his hotel room and struggle with alcoholism. And there would be some, and there were some, that said, you can't be a Christian. You can't be this evangelist that speaks to thousands and be somebody that struggles with alcoholism. But maybe Brennan Manning's a little bit too far off. Maybe we need to bring it home closer. What about, what about a pastor that, that, that speaks to 60 to 80 a week that struggles with lust and struggles with anger issues? Can he be a Christian? Can he be a pastor? Let's bring it home even closer. I'm not going to pick on me without picking on you. Come on. How much sin can you struggle with and still sit in a chair in church or fill a role in church? Maybe you're sitting there going, I don't struggle with sin. Well, here's what the Bible says about that. 1 John 1, 8 and 1 John 1, 10. If we claim to have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. The Bible calls us a liar. If we say, I do not have sin, the Bible calls us a liar. If we claim to have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Not only are we calling ourselves a liar, but we're calling God a liar because God says, hey, look, you guys... You're a sinner. See, here's, here's what a hypocrite looks like. If you can go throughout your week, commit adultery, lust, look at porn, have no single twinge about that, and then come back to church because that is your religious duty to look good, it's a hypocrite. If you can walk out of here and gossip about people, lie about people, lie to people, and then come back into church because that is your religious duty to look good, that's a hypocrite. If you can go and cheat people and not feel bad about that because that is just how business is done, and then come back into church because that's your religious duty to look good, that's a hypocrite. If you can be a bigot and call people names, and say bad things about people, but come into church and worship God with the same mouth that calls other people names because that's your religious duty to look good, that's a hypocrite. If you can be a racist and have racist thoughts and say racist things, but walk into church and with that same mouth, praise God because that's your religious thing to do to look good. That's what Jesus is talking about here. But see, the key word in all of this is struggle. See, there's a difference between saying, I can do whatever I want. If I show up on church on Sunday, I'm good. And saying, I struggle. It's a fight. And sometimes it whips my butt and sometimes I win. But I struggle. See, Paul, a dude that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he struggled with sin. 
We can see this from Romans 7, what I call the do-do passage. I don't do the things that I want to do, and I do the things that I don't want to do. You know what? By the end of it, you know what he calls himself? Oh, what a wretched man I am. Have you ever looked into the mirror and said, what a wretched person. How can I commit adultery? How can I lust still follow Jesus? What a wretched person. How can I get angry and yell and scream and still follow Jesus? What a wretched person. How can I lie about people? How can I be a bigot? How can I be racist? How can I cheat people and look in the mirror and go, what a wretched person? See, that's what the struggle of sin looks like. See, the Spirit leads us. The Spirit convicts us. The Spirit guides us to where we're supposed to go, but that darn flesh, right? Just won't go away, will it? It just won't go away. See, we value progress here at Crosspoint. Not just as a church. We want to progress in what we do here as a church and continue to get better at what we do as, as a church so that we can bring glory to God. But this is a value for us as well as people, as our relationship with Jesus. And this is what this means. It is okay not to be okay. When you walk in here, it is okay not to be okay. Why? Because I'm not okay and the person sitting to, next to you is not okay. So look at them. Look at them and say, you're not okay. And that's okay. See, I figured it was going to be way more fun to tell somebody else that if they're not okay than to say I'm not okay. It's okay not to be okay. But, here's where, where progress comes in. But, it's not okay to stay that way. It's not okay to stay that way. And this is the message of the gospel. That Jesus died on the cross and resurrected so that we don't have to stay not okay. But this flesh keeps, keeps, keeps just coming back up again. See, that's life. And that's the struggle against sin that we're talking about. Here's the question. Are you more interested... Are you more interested in looking good on the outside or growing on the inside? Here's one thing that I believe. I believe that Jesus wants us rough around the edges. I think that Jesus wants us rough around the edges. See, we might, we might be growing on the inside but still be rough around the edges. How do I know? Because we will never be smooth around the edges on this life. See, that's for heaven. That's for heaven. When he calls us home and the role is called up yonder, that's when he will perfect us and make us completely smooth around the edges. We're always going to be rough around the edges. We can either acknowledge that or let everybody else see how we're rough around the edges and just talk about us behind our backs. Right? <laughs> or we can go, hey, I'm rough around the edges. I'm rough around the edges. And this is where small group and community comes in. 
where small group and community comes in. Because these are places, these are groups where we can be a rough around the edges and acknowledge that. And everybody says, you know what, it's okay not to be okay. But we refuse to let you stay that way. And we want to help you find Jesus, grow with Jesus, and grow on the out inside because, man, sometimes the outside doesn't get the message that the inside is growing, right? Just doesn't get the message sometimes. And it's okay, not to, it's okay to just acknowledge that. Say, man, my outside is having a hard time keeping up with what Jesus is trying to do on the inside. See, the key isn't looking all good. In fact, that moves us opposite of where we need to go. This week, I was reading in Ragamuffin Gospel and it was uh, an article, ironically enough, those of you that have kind of been with us for, for, for a while, ironically enough, it was a chapter about limping and how Christians limp. And he had a paragraph about authentic discipleship that I feel like fits right here. Sometimes we think of disciples as this strong, all put together, guy that, and gal that knows, man, so much about the Bible. Goes to CPO at least once a week. Or Lifeway if you're good Southern Baptist. But anyway. Trickle down effect, yeah. Some of you are like, what is he talking about? That's all right, you're better off that way. What makes authentic disciples? It's not visions, ecstasies. Biblical mastery of chapter and verse or spectacular success in the ministry. But a capacity for faithfulness. Buffeted by fickle winds of failure, battered by their own unruly emotions, and bruised by rejection and ridicule, authentic disciples may have stumbled and frequently fallen, endured lapses and relapses, gotten handcuffed to the flesh posts, and wandered into a far country. Yet, they keep coming back to Jesus. You know what a disciple does? Keep coming back to Jesus. I'm prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Yet all is well. Why? Keep coming back to Jesus. For those of you that might have come in this morning struggling with the whole church and Jesus thing and wondering what the whole purpose is all about, we want you to see that the whole purpose is all about Jesus transforming us from the inside out. And that's what salvation is, is simply asking Jesus, transform me from the inside out. And there will be people around the back of the room so that, and we'll you know, turn off all the lights so that people aren't watching you. There'll be people around the back of the room who are not okay. So therefore, they're okay with you not being okay. And they want 
to hear your story. And they want you to find Jesus. And to find his salvation. And his offer of cleansing you from the inside out. But for those of us that are fans this morning, use this reflection time to simply come back to Jesus. Because we have to every day, right? This is the dependency issue. We need to be addicted to Jesus as the oh-so-popular Carmen sang about. <laughs> Those of you that have been around CCM for a couple of years. Right, Dave? Right, Dave? Addicted to Jesus. No, that was DC Talk. It was, DC. It was Carmen and DC Talk. It was both. And we've got to be addicted to Jesus. That we've got to be completely and utterly dependent upon Him because He continues to transform us from the inside out. And I encourage you to start on your prayer work this week. Start in your prayer work this week. God, transform me from the inside out. Imagine a church praying that prayer every day. Every day. And seeing what a life lived looks like. Transformed by Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for um, all that you're doing and all that you continue to do. I pray that we desire your transformation from the inside out, that we are okay with not looking good on the outside because we will never look good on the outside to the point of what you really want. But rather, we are okay with you growing us from the inside out. And that there will be victories There'll be setbacks. And we'll struggle and we'll have mountaintops and we'll have valleys. But at the end of the day, our story is we come back to you. I just pray that you will just continue to lead our hearts one day at a time coming back to you. It's your name I pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand with us and worship the the one who wants you to come back to him no matter where you've been.